It's common belief that in the Iron Age Israelite household, women prepared food and drink, and men were primarily responsible for agricultural field activities. However, evidence suggests this indoor-female-outdoor-male contrast was not always the reality. Welcome back to another Friends of Asor podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Anderson. In this podcast, I called up Associate Professor of Archaeology at the University of Evansville in Indiana and co-director of the Jezreel Expedition in Israel, Dr. Jenny Ebling. We discussed the role of men and women during crucial ancient Israelite harvest seasons. Ebling recently wrote the article Engendering the Israelite Harvest for a special issue of Near Eastern Archaeology magazine on gender archaeology. Take a listen. Well, the point of my article was to demonstrate that women were not only responsible for household activities like domestic chores and cooking and cleaning and um, other sorts of things, childcare. So the, what I wanted to, to say is that um, you know, the evidence suggests that women also took part in agricultural field activities, which are traditionally believed to have been um, primarily you know, men's, uh, men's activities. So I, I was looking at um, various sources of evidence, including ethnographic and artistic, as well as biblical. And um, you know, it, it appears to me that there's you know quite a number of sources that that show pretty convincingly that women are um, involved in these kind of field activities. So it looks like then um, you know women were responsible for you know activities related to the base of the uh, economy in ancient Israel, which was cereal agriculture. All right. And what's the time period of ancient Israel that we're looking at? So the time period for ancient Israel, uh, I'm looking at the Iron Age, so from 1200 to about 586 BCE is the period that I was uh, writing about. Great. In your article, you mentioned that Philip King and Lawrence Steger fail to consider women's contributions to areas of Israelite economic life other than in the household in their book, Life in Biblical Israel. Could you elaborate on this statement? Right. So, I mean, there are other um, Daily Life in Ancient Israel publications. I mean, this is one that I singled out just because that, that one direct quote just says so much. Um, you know, it talks about how men were involved in male aspects of life, uh, warfare, governing, economy, and worship, in which women were not directly involved or contributed only minimally. And so, I, you know, it's not just me. I mean, others have argued against that pretty strongly, that women were involved in these other areas of life. So domestic economy has been, um, you know, discussed at length by Carol Myers and other scholars. And so I was interested in looking, you know, outside the domestic context and looking at how women um, really did or were involved in the um, in the larger economy by working in the fields alongside men. And why do you think it's important to correct this misconception that people have about ancient women in Israel and their roles being restricted to domestic chores and childcare? And I guess as a part two to that, do you think correcting this misconception of the past will have an effect on how people view women's roles today? Right. So I, one thing that really bothers me about that particular passage is that uh, it's biologically essentialist, you know, meaning that basically women could only perform the roles that they were biologically able to perform, meaning having children um, and breastfeeding and therefore being kind of you know, tied to the house in a way. Uh, the assumption I think often that we have about the past is that women were not, you know, strong enough, physically capable enough to get, to do, you know, man's work, which is clearly not the case. Right. So I really do think it helps us better appreciate, you know, kind of the the complexity of women's lives in antiquity and how much they really did contribute to all aspects of ancient life. Um, it doesn't, you know, it tries to sort of 
you know, it keeps them in the house to some extent because they were responsible for so many things within, you know, their households. But at the same time, they were very much involved in, in public life in various ways. You know, field agriculture is not exactly public life, but it's certainly, you know, a major contribution to, you know, the household and the local community, right. um, especially during the, you know, the harvest seasons where everyone you know, needed to pitch in to take care of the job. And since women often helped with harvest and there's evidence to support it, where do you think this popular misconception that women's role is in the household and or with childcare came from? And why has it or is it taking so long for the modern world to move past it? Right. I think this is, um, you know, tied to traditional interpretations of, of biblical material that goes back to the 19th century. And so, I mean, we look, you know, look at this in my classes on, you know, women in antiquity and, and um, you know, kind of different ideas, uh, you know, from the Victorian era up to today about, you know, what women were capable of doing in the past. So I think, you know, as these, I included a, um, a number of ethnographic photos that show Palestinian women doing field activities in the early 20th century. And I, I don't know, I think that there's, there's just this, um, this mindset or this picture that people have in their heads, you know, of the kinds of things that women could and couldn't do. And so what I was trying to demonstrate through using these photos is that we actually have photographic evidence of women working in the fields, for example. These are the kind of images that would have appeared in, you know, in Bibles mm -hmm. that were available in the early 20th century, you know, kind of like illustrations of ancient daily life. Um, so I think that, you know, this, these ideas go way back, and it's just taken a very long time to get past them and, you know, consider the other sources of evidence, um, not only the Bible, for informing on women's lives in ancient Israel. You say that women's participation in the harvest celebrations supports your assertion that women participated in the harvesting of the crops used for said celebrations. Why would you say that supports it? Uh, these early celebrations, well, actually the early versions of these celebrations were really sort of household and community kinds of activities. So they were really family celebrations, if we look at the, you know, kind of the earliest evidence that we have for them. So, you know, a family would have celebrated a successful harvest because their lives depended on it. So if women were then involved in, um, you know, bringing in the harvest and, and also, of course, storing and processing food and, you know, and, and primarily being responsible for, um, you know, performing these kinds of daily life activities in terms of provisioning the house with food, then it seems that, you know, women would have been full participants um, in, in such activities, especially when, again, they were restricted more to the family and local community. I mean, only later, you know, when we have kind of later, uh, later biblical sources that talk about these festivals, do they get taken out of the household and the family and the community, and um, women are a bit more, um, you know, excluded from participating in some specific activities. But they originated as, you know, as, as family-centered and, you know, local community-centered activities, and what's more important than celebrating the harvest? And speaking of them being kind of community-centered, in your article you talk about the practice of leaving some of the crops in the field for the poor and orphans and other kinds of people, and that according to Deuteronomy 24:21, women were sort of explicitly the beneficiaries of this practice. I mean, why do you think it is that women benefited the most from this? I mean, were there no poor men? Right. So it looks like different disenfranchised groups, I mean, people that weren't under the protection, you know, of a, of a, a male-run household, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. or under the direct protection of their own birth families, widows, orphans, and others, um, that there were some basically social services, I guess, available to them in this, you know, in this idea that, you know, certain crops are left in the fields for those people 
to glean. Um, there were, of course, poor men, but men were in a different position. I mean, uh, someone who's lost a wife is not in the same position as a woman who's lost a husband in terms of uh, economic security and um, for other reasons. So it looks like it's it's an attempt to to try to take care of you know some of the the more disenfranchised elements of the population. So it's interesting that the boat you know the most thorough account that we have of the harvest actually comes from the Book of Ruth, you know, a, a book that's very you know female centered and. And you know, it has women harvesting and, and gleaning and um, reaping and doing all these things um, during the course of this harvest season. So um, I just thought it's sort of ironic that we, you know, yeah, traditionally that. women have been yeah left out of the picture, but at the same time, the best biblical description we have of these activities surrounds women. Right. So you know, at at risk women who were you know able to, to kind of. Um, take uh, advantage of those those resources that were made available to them because it was recognized in ancient Israelite society that these that these women and others needed that help. And there were also women that owned their own vineyards, which is interesting because a lot of times you hear about back in the day women weren't able to own their own business. So in ancient Israel, was it normal for a woman to own a business or would that have been considered a unique thing? Well, I think it's you know, looking at it as a business is, is harder than just looking at it as being, you know, kind of family property that women might have, um, you know, had some control over, sort of depending, you know, kind of on their age and marital situation and that kind of thing. So, it, I mean, those few uh, biblical examples that we have of women owning vineyards, you know, it's, kind of, it's sort of difficult to know exactly what that would have meant. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, we do have, you know, biblical passages. I mean, the, the woman of valor, for example, in Proverbs who is not doesn't exactly own a business but she is in charge of bringing in money for her family you know through the activities that she herself does and she has her servants do so i you know it's hard to imagine that it would have been really unusual in ancient israel for women to have had some sort of economic control again over you know the activities that are happening in their in their world so it's it's sort of hard to know you know how commonplace it may have been for women to outright own you know um something like a vineyard but again having some sort of control over you know family property and is sort of um, you know another issue so if women took on the extra work of helping during the harvest season what happened to their quote-unquote normal responsibilities did men share in that work or was it neglected or was the whole situation thought slash maybe treated like women had maybe downtime during the off season so during harvest they could just take on all this extra work yeah it's hard to imagine that women had any downtime <laughs> right <laughs> they certainly yeah. don't now so know. right i mean what happens to all these other activities when women are out in the fields for you know a few weeks here and there that's hard to know i mean i imagine that well depending on the household how many you know women and, and younger people were there and maybe elderly who weren't able to you know kind of participate in those that kind of activities i mean they probably took on some of the burden that normally fell on you know uh, younger women um you know during the rest of the year so i we don't really have much evidence that really kind of gives an indication of that i mean i know there's a you know this interesting an ethnographic example of, of women in Palestine, you know, the whole family would move out to the vineyards during the harvest season and live in, you know, in and around these, these towers, these sort of watchtowers out in the vineyards so that it could protect their harvest, basically. And there's biblical references to a similar kind of practice. And it has made me wonder, you know, what, what exactly did they do? I mean, is it sort of like, you know, they just sort of took everything out there with them and, and maybe ate differently than they normally did when they were at home? You know, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, perhaps they, they did everything but 
um, more, you know, kind of a modified version of their everyday domestic chores. I mean, sort of like we do if we're traveling or, you know, camping or hiking or something like that. I don't know. I mean, away from home for a, an extended period, you know, kind of how do you how do you do that? But I don't think that we can imagine that women ever had downtime, you know, right. that they ever really had much of a break. I mean, considering just that just grinding grain, I mean, sort of the, the staple food in their diet was bread, and it's been estimated that they spent a few hours a day just grinding grain, you know, to make the bread and other, other foods that they ate made out of cereals. So, I mean, that alone, um, you know, not to mention the spinning and the weaving and the cleaning and the child care and, you know, everything else. Um, right, and there, I mean, in your article you talk clock. about, uh, like, three or four different harvests. I mean, how long did these harvest seasons last? Like, how long was the downtime between each harvest season that would have been, I guess, the normal routine of work for both men and women? Right. So I guess the spring harvest would probably be the shortest um, in terms of wheat and barley and other cereals. Um, and then the, the grapes and olives would be different because they ripen at different times. So this is stretched out over a longer period. So perhaps the work is a bit less intensive during those times. It's also closer to home. Um, you know, olive groves and vineyards would be closer to home than the actual fields in many cases. So they probably they probably varied in terms of how much actual time away from home um, was spent on a typical day or in a typical week during the harvest season. And what would you say was the most interesting thing you learned while doing all this research? I think the most interesting thing that I learned was that there's there's just really so much evidence just in the biblical text that 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 proves or proves that that suggests that women you know really did take part in just about every activity one can imagine in ancient Israel I mean just in that one statement in this daily life book about how they weren't involved in warfare governing economy and worship I mean the biblical text talks about women warriors and women leaders and women who you know did have strong roles in their in their economies and also in worship so it's just interesting that you know, these would be considered male aspects of life. I mean, they were aspects of life for everybody, as they still are, you know. I mean, they would have been, you know, very different in, in the Iron Age, you know, kind of depending if you're in a village or in a city and, you know, sort of what class and, you know, if you're, if you're elite versus, you know, someone who's not. But, I mean, these are not male aspects of life. I mean, they're, they're aspects, aspects of life aspects that affect everybody. Yeah. And, I mean, women, you know, women participate, participated in, in all of these activities and much, much more. So I think that's the most interesting thing for me. It's like even just looking at the biblical text, there's evidence for this. But then when you go out of it and look at, you know, kind of the, the other material that we have available to look at, then um, it really does paint a pretty vibrant picture of women's participation in just about all areas of life that one could imagine. Right. I mean, you and I know that women can do everything that men can do, but it's always nice to have, like, artifacts from the past also suggest that women have always been doing everything men can do. Right. And I think just the what always bothers me is just the sort of assumption that it was something to do with their physical abilities, you right. know, that women could not participate, you know, and because they, you know, weren't strong enough or they were, you know, too busy having children and, and carrying them around and nursing them all the time. You know, the tasks of daily life were not easy. I mean, people's lives right. are really different than ours. And I mean, even if you go back a few generations for, for us, you know, I mean, what what kinds of work were women doing? I mean, really kind of physically challenging kinds of kinds of things mm -hmm. you know so they were quite a bit stronger I think than you know we are on average now I would imagine and so right to think that they would be excluded from participating in certain things because of their strength or because they have children is sort of hard to accept I agree 
So are you working on anything that's coming out in the future? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm working on a, another book about women um, in ancient Israel. And um, this one is, it's a bit different because I'm really trying to look at women who lived during the Iron Age and not so much looking, look at biblical women. I mean, of course, the information that we have from the biblical text about biblical women is important, but I'm trying to look more carefully at other information that we have about women's lives to sort of reconstruct the kinds of um, activities they were they were involved in, and so that's why I think I've, I've become so invested in trying to look at, um, you know, women's contributions to traditionally, you know, kind of male aspects of life, because I'm just seeing so many examples of, you know, of women, you know, participating in religious activities, even public worship, you know, kind of participating, you know, in in, in governance, if you want to call it that, um, and other activities. So I've um, really enjoyed being able to, to spend some time and, and read up on these issues and try to change the popular perception that women were basically stuck at home cooking all day and taking care of kids. I mean, that's certainly a large part of it, but it's certainly not everything. Right. It's more than that. Right. It's a lot more than that. Well, I look forward to reading your book when it comes out. Thank you. Finally, is there anything else you would like us to know about your article? Well, one of the things that I really enjoyed being able to do in this article, because it's a pretty short article, is that I was able to include these photos. And so I do, I mean, I'm, I've always, for a long time now, I've been really interested in collecting ethnographic photos that show women doing daily life sorts of activities in the Middle East in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. I think there's a lot to learn from them. One thing that's interesting that you know the the, the reader might you um, look at carefully is which one of these which of these photos appear to have been posed, and which ones seem to reflect, you know, a, a real depiction of daily life. That really interests me. The fact that we've got, um, in some cases, you know, these these early photographers were interested in trying to capture biblical scenes among kind of the local Arab population, and so they're kind of staged that way, and women are really well-dressed, and they're not, you know, I mean, they're not really out there doing it. And then, so I've included some of those, but in contrast, there are also images of women who are just really out there, I mean, in the olive trees, you know, kind of beating the olives down and, like, you know, threshing, um, you know, grain with a stick and that kind of thing. So that that really fascinates me, you know, sort of what the ethnographic information was, or how how it conveys reality and how it distorts reality. So all the sources we have available, from the biblical text you know, up to sort of modern sources that may inform on ancient life ways, have their biases and have their issues. And so I think it's interesting to look at you know, beyond the biblical text and look at what the other sources, um, how careful we need to be, I guess, about using other sources. So that, I don't know, that's something that I really liked about this article, that I could um, include so many of these ethnographic photos, which are just so interesting. Yeah, I mean, they're they informative, are great yet photos also, like, they're, throughout your article. They're biased. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I really, I mean, these are, these are great photos from the Matson collection. It's an amazing collection. It really does give you a sense, if you can distinguish the real from the staged, I mean, it really does give you a sense of a daily life now, which, um, during that, you know, that time. Um, I mean, are these practices still in place? Like, do people still go out as families and, you know, harvest these crops, or has it become more kind of commercialized? It depends. I think it really depends on where you know where we're talking about um, you know how how much family participation is involved in the harvest. I mean, I did ethnographic research in Jordan a few years ago, 
And I was really interested in, in bread, bread making specifically. And what's happened is that, you know, people don't grow their own grain anymore. I mean, that died out a few decades ago. Instead, a lot of people have um, olives, planted olive trees, have olive groves because it's much more profitable and you can buy flour really, really cheaply that's imported. So I think the practices have, have changed. I mean, just sort of um, they've transformed actually over the last generation or so. So, um, you know, olive harvest, grape harvest, those things are still, you know, traditional sorts of family activities when we're talking about, you know, kind of smaller plots of land that are privately owned. And I think that that's going to, you know, that's sort of disappearing as well. I mean, there's still some remnants of, of that depending on, wh on where you're, you know, what we're talking about. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, that's something that's going to disappear. So these, I mean, documenting these kind of practices is really, is, you know, is really important before they're gone. Um, I mean, already I had missed, you know, the window of opportunity of seeing, you know, people uh, participating in a field, a harvest of cereal crops in Jordan. I mean, it's just really not done in the north anymore. Do they still have the celebrations? Have those celebrations taken on new meaning or have they just quit doing the celebrations because they no longer harvest? Right. I mean, that's an interesting question. It's like how much do people still celebrate the harvest? I mean, some of them, well, certainly in Judaism, I mean, we have this agricultural calendar that's still you know, celebrate it that way, I mean, based on these ancient festivals. So, uh, you know, I was just in Israel in, in June during Shavuot, you know, which is one of the, you know, kind of an ancient holiday. And so, I mean, they do still sort of celebrate this, even if it's symbolically. Um, so it really kind of depends, I guess, on what harvest season, you know, we're talking about. But, you know, fall harvest in particular, I mean, we're going through that here now, right? I mean, the fall harvest season has just begun. So, I mean, we don't know, even though we're no longer involved in going out and, and actually doing the harvest ourselves, many of us, I mean, we still are happy to go out and, you know, pick pumpkins and that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, but so we still celebrate the traditions, yeah, of, of the past, I guess. This has been a Friends of ASOR podcast. The Friends of ASOR initiative is an outreach program of the American Schools of Oriental Research. Anyone can become a friend and it's free. Just go to asorblog.org backslash FOA registration to sign up. Again, that's asorblog.org backslash FOA registration. Thank you for listening and be sure to check out the ASOR blog for all of our podcasts, videos, and a whole lot more.